It's that unconditional love is probably the easiest way to put it. He's just a, he's just an incredible kid. Welcome to Better Together with Kosti Epifonsev, a podcast on parenting, business, and living life intentionally. We're here every week to bring you thoughtful conversation on making your own path to success, challenging the status quo, and finding all the ways we're better together. Here's your host, Kosti Epifonsev. Hey, y'all, this is Costa, and today I'm here with my guest, David Darnell. We're talking about dreams, diabetes, and being a dad. David is the director of Investor Relations with the Highlands Economic Partnership and co-founder and CEO of Addo Incorporated. A native of Middle Tennessee, when he isn't building one of his numerous empires, you can find David losing balls on the golf course, spending time with his beautiful wife, Allie, and seven-year-old Dax, and getting back to his roots, hunting and fishing. For the past few years, his personal mission has been overcome and conquer. David, thank you so much for joining me on this special Father's Day episode of Better Together, and congratulations on the newest addition to your family coming this November, Orlando Sailor Darnell. We'll get into fatherhood more in a second, but first, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how good are you at golf? Can you do a negative in that number at some point? Uh, in my head, I'm great. In my head, I should be playing on Sundays for millions of dollars, but realistically, I'm not, I'm not great. Like a three, maybe. But you keep practicing. Yeah, I'm never going to quit. I love that. Never, never going to quit. That's the only reason I play is because I'm not good at it. And you only want to get better at all That's times. It. I want to get better. Yep. Chasing the dream. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, David's son Dax was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes one week before his fifth birthday. Needless to say, this has been a huge part of your experience as a father. What's it like having a child with a chronic illness, specifically type 1 diabetes? It's what you could say is chaos almost. Uh, it's never ending. Uh, it's something that we monitor 24-7. My wife and I are up endless nights uh, monitoring his blood sugar and thankfully he he has a, a CGM, a constant glucose monitor, uh, a brand called Dexcom that monitors his, his glucose 24-7. Um, so I could look at my phone right now and see what his, his blood sugar is. And he's probably one of the only seven-year-olds, at least in Cookville, that has an iPhone. Um, and he carries around on his little fanny pack everywhere he goes, which which transmits the numbers to us, which is a blessing because without that, you know, you're, you're constantly wondering what his blood sugar is. Is he going low? Is he high? Those types of things. So it's a, it's a constant process of monitoring what's going on with the sugar. I couldn't even imagine what it must have been like back in the day, you know, before they had those apps that tell yeah. you, you know, hey, you know, your child is low, your child's sugar is low. I mean, not knowing, right? Like the dangers of that. Right. Just the, from the research that I've done, you kind of had to, for one, check the finger, you know, multiple finger pricks a day. Uh, and you had to look for for signs just in their behavior and how they were acting. You know, sometimes now Dax will get low and uh, we've noticed that when he gets low, he, he'll actually throw up. Um, and it's because he's getting dizzy from getting low and he'll get almost like anxiety is kind of what it comes off as. What Allie and I have put, my wife Allie, what we've put together um, is that, you know, He'll get really pale and he'll say, because um, sometimes the Dexcom will not necessarily be right on time with, it could be a little behind on what his blood sugar is actually doing. So he'll come into the living room and, you know, hey, dad, uh, I don't feel so good. And, you know, hearing that from a seven-year-old, then we're rushing around the house, where's his finger sticker? You right. know, get it, prick his finger, see what he is and start throwing apple juice at him and, you know, lemonade and whatever we can get to kind of get his blood sugar to go up. It, it sounds like a full-time job. It a hundred percent. It's a full-time job. I mean, wow. in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning, his, so we keep a monitor, like a video running 
morning all the time when he sleeps at night, specifically because if his monitor goes off, we can hear it through the monitor because it doesn't always translate the sound to our phones and communicate that with us. So we look for the sound from his monitor more than actually hearing it from our own phones. And it, I mean, it happens two or three times a week, at least in the middle of the night. How did finding out Dax having a chronic illness change you as a father? It put things in perspective. You know, life is short and... uh, it kind of it kind of puts things really in front of you that that really matter, you know. And it's it's a hard thing to balance because you don't want him to not have a normal childhood. If you didn't see him with his pouch or know that he had diabetes, you wouldn't know that he had diabetes. And that's by design. We want him to have a you know be a normal kid and have you know live a normal life. And that's a hard thing to balance because you don't. It, what he deals with is a lot. He gets five to six shots a day. Uh, he's starting to give himself his own shots. You know, he's got to carry his phone around. So it's all at Dax. Where's your phone? Where's your phone? Where's your phone? But at the same time, you don't want him to become dependent on us because he's going to have to learn how to manage this himself. So it's, it's a balancing act. It's something that we're always working on. And to your point about making life as normal as possible, you know, we all want to keep our kids young for as long as humanly possible. How do you preserve and protect Dax's childhood while simultaneously battling this illness? It's, we're still learning right? We're still trying to figure that out. I mean, uh, he's, he's had it for, he was diagnosed on December 4th of 2018. And so, you know, he's, he's had it for about two and a half years now and we're still learning things. I mean, right now we're dealing with the fact that he's kind of running high consistently. And the only reason he's running high is because we pivoted from him running low and having right. lows at school. So, uh, at school, even for him, it's a big deal because he's con- I mean, he's loved at school. Like everybody in the front office knows who Dax is, right? The principal, the front office attendants, everybody, but it, it's, finding as parents a way to balance him having this responsibility to protect his own childhood, us protect his childhood, but him still have this incredibly insane responsibility that no seven-year-old should have to bear. Um, so we're still trying to figure that out, right? And I think it's going to, we're going to continue to work on that. And that's something that we we talk about and pray about constantly because it's new to us. You know, there, I want to say there's not really a book on this, but there probably are books out there, but they, they're not specific to our son, which is what we take serious. Do you think that eventually he's going to grow up and it's not going to become such a significant problem to manage? Like, do you think that it's going to just kind of flatline at some point and just be in a simple procedure of he wakes up maybe at this level, sugar level, and then throughout the day he knows he's going to be at this level? Like, is there some type of pattern? I guess essentially what I'm asking is when does it get any easier or, or does it get any easier? Thankfully, technology makes it easier. So he will eventually be on a pump. Uh, and he won't have to have the shots constantly. And the technology is so advanced now that the pumps will actually talk to the CGM. And, you know, so he takes a nighttime insulin and a daytime insulin. That's the, the layman's version of that. The daytime insulin is for every time he eats or if he goes high, it's a correction. The nighttime insulin is constantly working through his body. It used to be about 24 hours. We moved to a brand called Tracebo, which you may have seen commercials for that it acts a little bit longer, but it, it's working throughout the day to keep him running flat. When it, with a pump, it will actually talk to his glucose monitor daily to kind of release insulin when he needs it on its own instead of having to get so many shots. So we know that we're going there eventually. And I think it'll become easier for him to manage because we've always been told, and this is one thing I do believe, is that he got diagnosed at a great time. It's a lot easier for a kid, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years old to be 
diagnosed with type 1 diabetes instead of, you know, 16 to 18, 19, 20, and so on, because this will be all he ever knows. So this is what, this will be the norm for him. And it's already normal for him. I mean, he knows, he tells everybody, you know, hey, do you want some Skittles? I can have that. I got diabetes. Why can't he have a pump now? Is it, a, is it an age thing? Yeah. And it's, we want him to know how to, and this is just personal preference. Sure. This is not um, something that, you know, anyone's told us uh, he could be on a pump now, but we want him to understand that, you know, he's going to have to give himself a shot at some point and we want him to know how to give himself a shot. And so again, at seven years old, he'll squeeze his little thigh, put a syringe into his leg, put the insulin in his leg, leave it there for two or three seconds and pull it out. To us, that's important because something happens with technology, a battery goes bad, right? Or he's, he's out with his friends when he's 13 or 14 and needs to give himself a shot. We want him to be able to give himself a shot. That's a great idea. My uh, sister-in-law, her son also has type 1 diabetes. Uh, they found out when he was about three, I believe. And a lot of the things that you're saying now, she also says, I don't know if it's just common sense, the way that you guys are Probably handling. Instinct. I would think parental yeah. instinct, right? right? Just looking out for their best interest. Yeah. That would just be my, my guess because nobody told us that. That's just something that we've talked about internally as a, as a family to come up with. So one of the things that she always mentions to me is how difficult it is to find adequate child care. So not just child care that can provide supervision and make sure that they don't get hurt, but just people that are not just able, but also willing to be able to manage the day-to-day of somebody that's a child that has type 1 diabetes because of the liability associated with that. Did right. you experience any of those issues early on? Still still are. So looking at uh, Dax will be going to church camp this year. Shout out to the river. He's going to be going to the river and um, they're actually going to have four nurses on staff through the duration of church camp. They came to us like, Nurses are going to be here. We got you covered. There's another program he's going to go to sometime during the summer with another church just for fun. And it's not necessarily church camp, but it's very similar. And um, there's not going to be any nurses there. So, you know, my mom is like, hey, I want to take him to this thing. We're like, but you can't because there's not going to be a nurse there. And she's like, no, I'm going to actually hang around in town. You know, I'll figure out something to do for three or four hours in town. To, you know, when it's time for him to have lunch, I'm going to go. I'm going to make sure he's set up on Wi-Fi. And I'm going to be within, you know, a 10 to 15 minute driving distance in case I need to go do something. And I'm going to make sure they know that if he goes low, give him, you know, it's just this whole list of instructions. And she had to have that conversation with them to make sure that they were going to be comfortable with that. And thankfully they are, but she's still going to have to go there and give him a shot during lunch. Whereas at the river, when we go there, you know, we just send, he carries around a little lunchbox with all of his stuff in it. They'll be able to give him his shot and help him with that stuff so he can eat lunch and do everything like a normal kid. That's great news. So, you know, it's early summer 2021. Most of Americans have been vaccinated at this point and they're back to living, you know, relatively normal lives. During the pandemic and moving forward, what do you want listeners to know about people with lowered immune systems and especially children? I knew this question was coming and it's a little bit of a misconception that he's actually at higher risk for, and we were, we thought that he was going to be at higher risk for things like COVID prior to coming into the pandemic, but he's actually not. I mean, we were in constant conversation with Vandy and the juvenile diabetes clinic at Vanderbilt and six to eight months ago, maybe nine months ago, talking to his uh, endocrinologist, she was like, look, we've had one kid come into the ER that was a type 1 diabetic from a COVID infection, but they also had four or five other under, you know, lying diseases or causes that kind of put them there. It wasn't necessarily the type 1 diabetes that did it. So for us, at the very beginning of the pandemic, we were locked down. I mean, you know that you and I were talking, right. like we were locked down. We wanted, no, we weren't going anywhere, you know, ordering food in, you know, sprayed it with Lysol before we even grabbed it. Uh, and then we found out through, again, just 
research and talking to his endocrinologist and all the other doctors, he really wasn't at a higher risk with uh, with infections. And same with the flu and anything. He, again, aside from him having to get a shot, he's a normal kid. He's a r- really normal kid. Now he does have, we, we've kind of received a soft diagnosis of celiac. So he does have a gluten allergy. A little over 30% of type 1 diabetics will also have that condition from their autoimmune system. So we just had some blood work done and we do think that he actually is in fact going to be, see- and we're seeing some signs and some things like that because we've reintroduced gluten to his diet. So we're probably going to have to stick with the gluten-free diet. He's, he's a normal kid outside of those two things. Overcoming and conquering, man. That's what we do. I love it. So having a child with a chronic illness is expensive. How did you adjust financially and what advice do you have for a parent finding out that they may be incurring what could potentially be a massive cost. Yeah, so diabetes is not cheap. It's a very expensive condition. You're seeing some legislative changes uh, throughout the state and throughout the country on putting price limits and price caps on insulin. Prior to some of these uh, acts going into place, a one-month supply of insulin was close to $700, just straight out of pocket. Uh, As you mentioned earlier, I'm I'm kind of an aspiring entrepreneur. Uh, It's funny you said empires. I'm so far from empires. Uh, But I'm aspiring to, to be an entrepreneur and have been for a few years. And, They'll um, eventually become empires, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. You know, I was just doing my own businesses prior to his diagnosis. And uh, after he was diagnosed, I gave it about three or four months. And um, the stress of insurance, really, and we and I had insurance through our, one of our organizations, but it, it was very expensive. And we were working hard to see if we could, you know, afford it financially from a budgetary standpoint as an organization. And it was at that point that I made the decision that I need to, you know, for the sake of him and the sake of my family, I've got to get out there and get a full-time job. And that's really what I did. And that's how I ended up with Highlands Economic Partnership was for the benefits. To that point, do you ever feel like, and I know that you love your job, uh, you do a great service for the community, and I think it's super rewarding. But do you ever feel like people sometimes kind of get locked into a job because of the benefits? I hear all the time people say, well, listen, I'd love to come and work with you. I love what you're doing, but I just can't because I need this insurance. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if we messed up and should have flip-flopped the system where it was, you know, not the employer who was providing the insurance and, you know, this form of welfare capitalism, but instead having health insurance separate from from work. You know what I mean? Because, right. I mean, if you really want to chase your passions, if you really want to chase your dreams, but you can't because you have maybe not yourself that's sick, but your child is, you're locked in. And you have to work somewhere because you have to have insurance. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I, I've gone back and forth on this etern- internally about, uh, man, this sucks. Um, and not that working at the Highlands, but just the fact that I had to even go down that route. Because I, you're right, I do love my job at the Highlands. You know that. We, we talk about that all the time. But without that, his CGM, the sensor, because we have to replace sensors on him every 10 days. They go on the back of his arm. They pop in with a little, uh, like a computer mouse is kind of what pops him into his arm. Uh, without insurance out of pocket those range from like 60 to 80 bucks a piece and they got to be changed every 10 days the transmitter which actually uh, goes inside the sensor so we're just talking about a little plastic piece that goes on his arm on the back of each of his arm we rotate every 10 days the transmitter which lasts about three days can range between like 250 and 350 out of pocket with no insurance then it's got a receiver that comes with it which we use a phone instead of the receiver now you look at the lancets to check his finger you know those are not cheap the strips to check the blood that goes inside the sensor those can 
can go about 50, 60 bucks for a one month supply. The actual device, the the check when you do like a blood stick, is not that expensive, but you add all of those up plus the nighttime insulin, the daytime insulin. I mean, it comes, it can easily come up to be well over a thousand, you know, $1,500 a month out of pocket without insurance. Not to mention his celiac and all the other conditions right. that he has that we have to take into account as well. I mean, it could be a $25,000, $30,000 endeavor a year. Right? Yeah. I mean, with his, without insurance and think we had insurance, you know, when he was diagnosed, but the initial bill for three days, because he, he went into what's called DKA, which is diabetic ketoacidosis, which is life-threatening. Um, he had strep at the time. It was just a mess, man. When he was diagnosed, it was crazy. Um, but he spent, uh, you know, an ambulance ride to Vandy from here. The hospital here did great. Vandy did great. But I want to say the first bill we got was close to $30,000 just for, you know, getting him back on track and getting him on IVs. And then they have to slowly introduce insulin to the body. And I mean, it just, it was a very expensive product. And then it just stacks on top of that afterwards with all the other conditions. And, you know, not to get super radical here, but I personally would assume that having childcare accessible and free for children, is kind of a no brainer. I do hope that one day, I know not everybody's going to agree with this, but I do hope that one day we can get to that point because kids, they, they deserve the best. Okay. I understand, you know, you don't want to pay for an adult's chronic illness, but maybe, you know, let's at least make it a little bit easier for the kids, right? Yeah. It's not his fault he has diabetes. And I'm not saying, I know, we'll unite yeah. down a political uh, <laughs> rabbit hole, uh, but it puts you on a different a different perspective that here's a kid that at no fault of his own or anybody's fault, which, you know, about with, you know, because it's my fault, you know, he, he has this lifelong, condi- and thankfully there are things like Social Security and all these things in place that kind of help him because he does technically have a, a disability, right? something and, and those in place are a lifesaver. But I'm with you. It, it certainly made me think differently and it's something I think about often now. Right. One more question, and then I promise we'll get into a positive light. I oh, promise. Good, man. How hard is it to, and it can be a one one answer if you have to, one word answer. How hard is it to scale a business, scale potentially two businesses, work full-time job, have a child with type 1 diabetes, and have a baby on the way? Crazy. There's that one word you want it. No, it's um, changing me in a, in a great way. It's empowering me. It's um, motivating me. I'm more motivated than ever for all of those things. And thankfully, without Allie, this would be, you know, my wife, it would be, and I'm so thankful for her. She's had such a positive impact on my life and on Dax's life. Dax has been through, you know, you and I know he's been through a lot, even outside of his diabetes. And um, I'm still figuring it out. And I'm, I'm figuring it out, right? I got a lot of work to do, but what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Exactly. Yeah. So on to the positive. What's the most rewarding part of being a parent? One of the things that Dax does all the time, he's a daddy's boy. Uh, anybody will tell you, he's a hundred percent of daddy's boy. Um, he tries to be like me anytime he sees me do something. If it makes somebody laugh, you know, he's trying to do it. Or if I, you know, if I laugh at something he does and he's doing it all the time, it's that unconditional love is probably the easiest way to put it. He's just an incredible kid. Don't get me emotional on this podcast. I Costa, won't. I come won't. on, man. <laughs> well, you know, that unconditional love is always going to be there. Right. Yeah. And it's, he's, um, for me, selfishly and personally, seeing how resilient he is and seeing what he's been through and how he never complains about it. Where do you think he learned that from? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I think I know. I don't I think know, I man. Know. He, um, he's been through a lot. I mean, a lot of stuff outside of his diabetes. And uh, he's, he never complains, ever. He just doesn't. He just gets up with a smile on his face and loves his family. That's what he does. You've got a lot going on. And we touched on this briefly, but you're a small business owner, a community developer 
developer, a husband, a father, an aspiring pro golfer. How do you balance your life personally and professionally? That's something I'm also still working on. And I will always work on that. I'm never going to have that perfected. You have to, yeah. Again, I keep going back to Allie because she, without her, a lot of this would be impossible. She is uh, such a strong support system. I can't go play golf. And again, just so everybody knows, I'm not good at golf. <laughs> uh, but I enjoy it. It's a, it's an it's an outlet for me that in in just having these little hobbies that get my mind off of things. I couldn't do those without her being at home watching Dax or you know which will soon be watching the kids right. right. Pl- plural version, which is crazy. That's really the only way I could do that without her. That would be impossible. And you got to have something, whether it's golf or, you know, running or weightlifting, whatever it is, you got to have something because you've got probably five or six thoughts going on in your mind at all times. And for you to kind of just have enough, it's a meditative state almost is what they talk about. Just enough to kind of clear out some of the noise so you can at least just focus on one or two or three of those things, you know, so I can totally relate to that. I I run in the mornings and just in the mornings? Don't you run literally all the time? Well, no, sometimes I run more than once a day, but usually I just run in the mornings for about an hour, run like five miles. And they say- Just five miles, no big deal. They say that it's a meditative state to disconnect from everything and and sort of go inside, like introspect fully, you know? So I, I think that's extremely important. Every day is a new adventure and challenge, but what are you looking forward to most in post pandemic life? And what's next for for David Darnell? I'm in this phase of discovery right now. Something's on the horizon for me. I don't know what that is. I continue to pray about it and work towards it and, and being patient about it. I see big things happening. Uh, in the past week, I've had some some doors and open and some conversations take place that kind of give me uh, some hope and inspire me a little bit more to just keep plugging away. You know, I don't have this defined thing. I just know that there's something. I'm, I'm reaching towards something. I don't know what it is. And that's fun for me, the unknown. Just staying focused on on family. I, have, I live by faith, family, friends, fun, and failure. Those are kind of my, my things that I've... And I, in that order. As long as I continue to keep those at kind of my foundation and, and as, as my core value. So, to, you know, the, I guess you could say overcome and conquer is kind of the mission of our family, but faith, family, friends, fun, and failure uh, would probably be our values. And uh, if we continue to keep those at kind of the root of everything that we do, I think no matter what comes next, it's going to be fun and fulfill me. I love that you always stay positive because I, I know, especially trying to scale a business and working all the time, people get, you know, down on themselves, they get into a rut. But if you stay positive like you do and you tread water. Um, You know, sometimes it feels like you're just in place and you're not going anywhere, but you're like, you know, I just got to keep working. I got to keep grinding. It's going to, you know, I'm eventually going to break through the ceiling, right? That's how I've always sort of lived my life. And I think that's where you and I have connected on is you got to stay positive. The next day is always going to be better, right? Today may suck, but tomorrow's going to be a lot better. Right. But if you don't put the work in, then you're not going to have a tomorrow. Sun's going to rise regardless. Exactly. No matter, it's your choice to enjoy it or not enjoy it. Right. So nothing we could do about that. So in honor of Father's Day, what's the most impactful advice you've learned from your father? So my dad's a character. Uh, anybody that's met my dad, Ralph is his name, which is so, yeah, it's so fitting. Uh, Ralph has a skullet to put things in perspective. And for those that don't know what 
a skull it is. He's got the Hulk Hogan haircut where he's bald on top and then he's got the mullet in the back. So we call yeah, we call it a skullet. I would say for me from him is the work ethic. Just grind it out constantly. That that's really what he taught me at a young age. I got a lot in a lot of trouble in high school and, st- and I lived with him when my parents split. I'm still close with both parents, but uh, I stayed with my dad for a few years and you know, I would get in trouble in school and my friends, if they got in trouble, they got to stay at home and watch Say by the Bell. But my dad owned a septic tank company. So if I got in trouble, I didn't get to stay at home. I was out pumping septic tanks. And I learned a lot in that, ironically. And he never let me just kind of skate by. You know, he always made sure I was working and doing something, which I think is translated pretty good for me, at least, you know, as being a father and aspiring entrepreneur. Any guys that have had trouble in high school, if they have like a strong fatherly role that will yank them by their shirt and say, hey, man, if you want to play hard, you're going to have to work hard too, you know? My dad, he did something similar. You know, I got into trouble in junior year of high school, got expelled. He said, okay, so you don't want to go to school. I understand. Don't come back home until you get a job. Right. So no car, you know, he said, go walk. So I walked to the Taco Bell uh, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm 16 and I need a job. And they were like, oh, okay, sure. Well, here's an application. How much money do you want to make? And I was like, well, how much will you pay me? You know, right. so, <laughs> and I was like, dad, I, and I, the whole time I'm filling out this application, I'm thinking to myself like, God, I could, at least I get to come home, you know, but most parents, they'd be way too scared to say something like that right. to their kids. But he was like, nah, yeah, I'm sure he would have let me come home, obviously, but I think there was a lesson there that said like, okay, man, you know, if you want to mess up here, then you're going to have to make up somewhere else. Right. right? Yeah. No, I ended up going to alternative school. There was no, my parents talked about private school and they're like, nah, it's too easy. You're going to alternative school. And so sure enough, I did. Then I actually ended up getting to come back to school on good behavior and things like that. Good. I don't know, like eight months later, but (laughs) eventually. So David, thank you so much for taking your time and talking to us. We always like to end the episode on a high note. Who is someone that makes you better when you're together. I mean, I hate to sound like a broken record, but my wife, if you've been around us together, you would be able to see it without Allie. Uh, I would be, I'd be lost, man. She's the other half. I mean, she's really what I've always wanted without her. I wouldn't be able to manage the things that I do in terms of my, my businesses and my personal life. And even as a father, for me, she's that helping hand, that shoulder to cry on, that person to push me when I need to be pushed. I Thank mean, you for joining us on this imagine, episode of Better things. Together with Costia Papancic. If you enjoyed listening and you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review, or better yet, share this episode with a friend. Better Together with Costa Yepafonsiv is a Costa Yepafonsiv production. Writing and production by Morgan Franklin. Want to find out more about Costa? Visit us at costayepafonsiv.com. We're better together.